1: from multiple abysses, A.K.A. responsible, proper, social from spare across Atlanta. Welcome to the Godless Heathens podcast, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Don.
0: I'm Jeff, and I'm Jerry. This is a podcast by atheists that talks about a lot of things, not just atheism. And especially this week, we will challenge your assumptions and ours too. Definitely not here to preach to the Atheist Choir, but to critique, ridicule, and poke fun at anyone, especially ourselves.
2: So join us as we examine the crossroads of politics and religion from the secular perspective. And remember to put on your critical thinking cap when listening to this podcast or any other so-called podcast. Episode 119, and it is a star-studded, extra-special episode. So tonight we have a special guest. This is Kimberly Jackson and she's a Georgia senator. I met her at a Muslim for Progressive Values meetup when my emergent group was kind of partnering with them to discover how to how we could partner together and, and be progressive in Atlanta. And so I, I met her, and I met her wife, Trina, through there, and been just kind of paying attention, especially when she, in 19, let's see, 2021, you won the Georgia State Senate seat in um uh, is it tucker or stone mountain Stone Mountain. it's
3: both yeah it's a big city oh, okay. district so
2: yeah so uh, you know if you want to just give a little background on on uh, you know how you came into politics and you know just your little snapshot uh, picture
3: yeah sure first of all thanks so much for having me it's really good to be on with you all
2: oh thanks for being on
3: Um, So just as a little bit of background, I grew up actually in South Carolina, and I I feel like I am the poster child for taking children on these different excursions to, uh, you know, increase their knowledge about how how things work. So when I was 13 years old, I was taken to see lots of different kinds of ways to do public service. We saw firefighters and EMTs. We went to a 911 center. We went to a jail and they did like a whole SWAT team demonstration for us. I realized in hindsight, all of this was a recruitment tool, um, but at the time it was just really, really cool. And that night we ended at a city council meeting where I saw what was then our very first black mayor in my hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina. He was uh, you know, in charge of the city council meeting and I had the light bulb moment that every teacher wants for their student, right? Um, I saw that this is how change happens. This is how positive change in particular can happen, um, it's through elected office. And so honestly, since I was 13 years old, I've been kind of plotting and thinking and and preparing for a way to get into elected office. And, you know, here I am much older than 13. And uh, the opportunity came up to to move into the Senate Um, here, my my seat came open, and I'd been doing a lot of preparation work and uh, the people of Stone Mountain and Tucker and Lilburn and all of District 41, they voted me in. Yay.
2: But I noticed you have a hat on. Our viewers can't can't see it, of course, but it's from uh, Candler School of Theology. So you are a, um, a priest in the Episcopal Church. So tell us a little bit about uh, how you came to to that.
3: Yeah, so I am an Episcopal priest, and I am a proud graduate of Candler School of Theology here at Emory. That's actually what brought me to Atlanta. Um, my journey to the priesthood is, I think, one not unlike a lot of queer clergy folks. Um, I was experiencing a call to ministry at a quite young age, but um, when it was time for me to pursue that call um, in college, I was coming to an awareness around my own sexual identity and I'd ra- I'd been raised in a really conservative kind of black baptist congregation where they were already having a hard time with the idea of ordaining a woman and so, adding being a queer woman on top of it was just an impossibility. And so, because of the time that I was, you know, having this discernment process, it was, um, it happened to coincide with when the Episcopal Church was having a very public process of deciding would they ordain a bishop who was, who was gay, um, Gene Robinson. And so, I learned about the Episcopal Church literally from the news. I'd never heard of it before. Like, I'd never met an Episcopalian to my knowledge. But on the news, I saw this very public debate happening around whether or not gay people should be allowed to be ordained to higher levels of of service in the church. And it intrigued me. And I was like, well let me explore this place and and i'm really glad that i did i i've found a true home in the episcopal church as a result
2: and you're still active in that as well right
3: that's right i still serve i am currently the vicar or the lead priest for the church of the common ground which is a congregation without walls we serve and do ministry with people who are experiencing homelessness in downtown atlanta
0: so before you found the episcopal church did the pushback to your being a woman and being a queer woman, shake your faith. Hmm. Did it make you question that at all? or?
3: Yeah, no, that's such a great question. I It definitely made me question my calling to ministry. Um, I never questioned uh, really, did I love, I mean, so I, I'm in a I'm an out Christian, right? I'm very proud to be a progressive Christian. And I will say that during my entire coming out process, during a very fraught experience with my own parents who feel like it's uh, antithetical to their Christian beliefs. Um, at at no point did I doubt that God loved me. At no point did I doubt that there was um, that there was room for me in the Christian church. All of my questions were around: Was there room for me as a clergy person in the Christian church? That was the the real hurdle for me. But you know, I I came to know Jesus as a really young child. Um, growing up, and you know, we can talk a lot about how conservative. Baptist churches in particular, can be very harmful.
0: We talk a lot um, about that. And certainly,
3: I'm sure you all do, right? Um, and certainly, I, I did take in some very harmful theology. But I will also say that there was something incredibly foundational and grounding that I received, you know, at age four, five, six, seven years old, that grounded me in the Christian tradition, and that has sustained me, even through, you know, great times of difficulty when I wasn't even sure that the church would welcome me.
2: So Kim, one of the the reasons, one of the main reasons I think we wanted to have you on the pod is, um, and I'm guilty of this too, is local politics have been off my radar forever. And that's not unusual. Most people can't name who their local House person or Senate person is. And that's been to our basically destruction i think is because there's there's a book that that uh, i might refer to on later but you know that kind of made it front and center is like we don't realize how much gerrymandering takes place in, in at the local level the laws you know like the abortion laws the uh, you know don't say gay the crt laws all of those things are local and uh until we you know kind of wake up and realize that and start to get more involved in local politics It's just going to get worse. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on to kind of pick your brain as far as your experience and and what we can do to get people back involved in local politics.
3: Yeah, no, I'm so glad that you all are paying attention. Uh, Stacey Abrams, who's running for governor here in Georgia, um, does this really great riff, and I'm I'm not going to get the details um, as precise as she does, but she talks about some of the major issues that we've experienced as a nation. So think about the war on drugs. Um, She's like, that didn't start with federal legislation. That started in a state with a governor who signed a bill, right? Um, If we think about... I mean, we think about abortion rights. Like, those things have happened on state levels. A lot of our mass incarceration, all of those things have really been birthed at individual states, and then they've kind of made their way up to federal government. And so I'm really glad that you guys are kind of honing in. And obviously, because of the Supreme Court and the makeup that we have right now, you're going to see more and more issues coming to your state legislatures.
2: And I looked at the numbers. So, like, the House... um there's 180 people in the House, and it's a 42% Democrat, 572 Republican. In the Senate, there's 56 seats there, 39.3% Democrat, 607 Republican. So it's definitely not in our favor.
0: Uphill battle. But that's not how the state votes for national elections. Particularly in right. the last cycle.
1: Especially to the last two senators. That, uh, that those are statewide. They, that we, they couldn't gerrymander us out of those. That's right.
0: So do you have a p- kind of a point of view about other, like, maybe it is like completely gerrymandering, but apparently people are either splitting their ticket or sitting out. And the voter suppression and the gerrymandering, like, we won't dive into it, but, you know, we know <laughs> it's real. Um, Yeah, No, the
3: the statistics that Jeff read are a direct result of of gerrymandering. I mean, you're you're right. You cannot gerrymander an entire state. That's just a fact, right? (laughs) If it's a statewide race, you cannot gerrymander it. And so we've seen from President Biden to the Ossoff and Warnock races, Georgia, at the very least is purple. It is a 50 50 state, if not a blue state. And the fact that our Senate and House in the Georgia do not look like that. It is 100% a consequence of gerrymandering.
0: How do we fight that from a... Because there's always criticism that Democrats, after big, you know, which have, you know, like, soul-sucking decisions, like the abortion decision, is, you know, vote like you... You know, vote harder. And, <laughs> you know, there's always... There's always blowback to it. It's like, you know, we do, but you guys don't do a lot either. What can we do as voters to, you know, maybe not vote harder, but work harder to get more people to vote?
3: Yeah, it's such a great question. And and the reality is... It's a really tough question beyond, I mean, I could tell all of our friends who are progressives to move North and move South, right. Move out of Metro areas. I mean, we yeah. really, really like want to talk brass tacks. Yeah. We need progressives who infiltrate and live in these areas that have been drawn to be overwhelmingly red districts. I mean, that's the, the actual solution. Um, I, I think on a, you know, Next to moving, I think the next thing to do is to have conversations with your friends and relatives who do live in those red districts and talk to them about why they're not voting in their best interests. Right. I mean, we've seen time and time again in Georgia, the ways that the Republicans are passing legislation that's not in the best interest of the average everyday Georgian. Um, We pass legislation that harms our schools, that harms teachers, that harms queer folks, that harms anybody who's basically not making a whole lot of money. Um, And so I think that it is going to be an issue of maybe we can convince some of those folks who live in those red districts um, to to vote with their actual beliefs, um, in terms of what they hope for Georgia, because that's, I mean, that's really kind of our only saving grace other than our statewide elections, right? Like the statewide election, it can't be gerrymandered. We have to elect Stacey Abrams because that will give us veto power and veto power is extraordinary power. Uh, so that in that case, it really is. All of us have to do all our work to get out, beat, knock on doors, beat the bushes, beat the pavement and get every eligible voter out there to actually go to the polls. So I, as an individual, can't vote harder, but I can work harder to get other people to vote because that's going to be really essential.
2: Well, one thing I want to, I was kind of wondering about is I'm in West Cobb. And so, you know, very red as far as Who's your, the, who's the your state. member of
0: Congress again? We forgot. Who speaks for you in Washington, Jeff?
2: Marjorie Taylor Greene. Thank oh, that's nice. much. Yeah, we got no. gerrymandered into her her district, but on you know the local level though is like I had to look up to see who is running against these Republicans. I think Lindsey Tippins is a senator and he's retiring, <laughs> right. so, and then Ginny um, Earhart is is the House re- representative, and I had to look up. You know who is who the Democrats are running against them, and I've not heard anything from those candidates. So there, you know, there's only so much a voter can do. You have to be made aware of of who, what your options are. Otherwise, if there's no uh, name recognition, people are just going to go with what they what they know.
3: That's essential that people really start getting their names out. Um, this has been a hard election season for a lot of candidates, and myself included, because we feel like we just ran, and you know we've been running. <laughs> yeah. I know, but we've been running even not my own campaign, right? So I I was elected two years ago, but then we had the Ossoff and Warnock campaign, right? And so it's um, we've kind of been stuck in this constant cycle of elections. And so I think, I think candidates have struggled. And the other piece is that Republicans heretofore have invested a lot more money in saving their Republican seats than Democrats have. And when it comes to name ID, so much about this, about, of this is about having the money to be able to send you a mailer in your mailbox, Jeff, right? Having the money to be able to get on the radio or on TV. And the people with the money in their pockets, um, Heretofore have been largely giving that to Republicans or they'll give it to, you know, a statewide like a Stacey Abrams. But it leaves our House and Senate seats, our state House and Senate seats, um, really struggling to come up with the money that's necessary to run a really good campaign.
0: Do you ever get tired of the pace? Like when you said it feels like we just ran. Every election <laughs> now is it's the most important election ever. And yeah. it's the most important election ever, and they and the are run-ups are longer and longer. But you don't get a break from it. Like every, it's like you're just like all, we're, we're always talking about politics and the next election in and 2022 and 2024, and you can't get away with it. Does it mentally wear you down to just constantly be on or running? Because even as a voter, I would like a break from it. I know how important it is. But I would like a break from the most important election ever. Every time there there's an election.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I do get tired. I I've had to kind of change my my mindset around what it means to be running for office. I um, have gotten really clear, particularly with my own constituents, that me doing my job and doing it well, so representing well in the legislature. Trying to pass bills that are important for my district and for all Georgians—that that is me running, yeah. right? Um, that that's a form of campaigning, and so I do uh, I do as much media stuff as I can during you know all year long, uh, in between sessions, because that is how that's how I'm doing my job, right? And and that's a part of campaigning too. So I've just had to wrap those two things together because if I just think about like oh my gosh, I have to run another campaign. Um, and I still have to do my job of being a legislator. If I separate those two things out, and by the way, I run a church and I'm married and I live on a farm, yeah, right, yeah. it just seems impossible. And so remembering that by being a good straight state senator, right, representing my district well, that that is a form of campaigning, too, has has been how I've kind of measured out my, my own energy.
1: Just for context, how long is your term?
0: It's only two years. So you're so basically—
1: Constantly, yeah, even even that's right. Campa- yeah, campaigning,
0: and it's the most important election ever, too. Yeah, for her. and yeah. I, the next one,
1: because if 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 we you don't show up at this one, there's not going to be the next one.
2: I was wondering if if the Democratic Party of Georgia has any wherewithal to like do some kind of a widespread support of any of the Democratic candidates running in the House and in Senate to kind of bring the the name awareness up or.
3: Right. Yes, so there is a coordinated campaign um that coordinates all the statewide elected and then goes down to district level um as well. A, a part of it just so so you all know kind of insider political strategy, oftentimes a campaign really and truly doesn't launch for real for real until after Labor Day. And so you'll see an explosion of Ads of information in your mailbox of digital, you know, things. You you will see an explosion of that happen uh, come September, and I, I think part of that delay is because. You don't want to peak before people, you know, a long time. If you peak in June and people don't get a ballot until October or November, they've forgotten about you by then. Right. And so so there will be a coordinated campaign, particularly for those districts that we think we might be able to actually pick up. So, Jeff, I'm not sure if you actually live in a competitive district anymore. I think it may just be yeah, really be red.
2: Right. Right.
3: You know, and so, I mean, honestly, we have to, like, count our dollars and count and say, like, is it worth investing. If we know that eighty percent of the people who live in your district are Republicans, yeah. We're right. we're not gonna invest the same kind of money that we do in districts that are fifty fifty, which we do have a, a number of close districts.
1: She's saying it's not worth throwing money down the bottomless pit you live in, Jeff. That's what, what you saying.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it keeps getting deeper and deeper.
0: So you you this is this was your first term in the in the Senate. So what in that you know during the the sessions was like exactly what you expected, and what wasn't?
3: Nothing was like I expected. Ah. Oh wow! Um, so I I mean I don't even know what I I, I guess what I expected was um, I think I, I expected some logic to the <laughs> process. <Ooh. laughs> Just a Smith, uh, I, <laughs> this is going south fast. <laughs> I mean, I did. I mean, I, I expected reasonable time management skills. I mean, now I see how it's strategic to not do anything for many, many days and then ram a whole lot of things through at the very end. I, I see the strategy in that, but and when I came in, I I thought surely like we will get to work immediately because we only have forty days to to do good work, um, and that just didn't happen. I, I I think I also I came in expecting and believing that the smartest people in the room were gonna be helping to like make decisions, and that's just n- not true. I I think there probably was a time when that was true but because part of, because politics have become so so partisan and the Republicans have become so so invested in feeding their base you know it's not the smartest people in the world in the room who are driving policy anymore and it's, it's been so for me, that was really surprising. but it's And it's also been really interesting to see how the smart people in the room try to influence things that are just absurd and how they try to, to use their wisdom. But at the end of the day, wisdom doesn't always prevail. In fact, it often doesn't. Um, and being the smartest person in the room does not guarantee you power. Power down at the Capitol is distributed um, in a way that I'm still trying to puzzle out quite like how it works, but it's definitely not the A students who have the power.
2: That was one of my questions, is, you know, looking at the national scene, how far off the rails the Republican Party has gone by the, you know, the the Dr. Oz, running Dr. Oz and then Herschel Walker, you can go on, the people in in, um, Arizona. I just wondered if that was being reflected in the state legislature, and it sounds like that has kind of infiltrated the Republican Party there as well.
3: Yeah, not to the same extremes, but certainly. I, I mean, you know, the the bill that we saw come up around making sure that trans children could not play on the team of their same gender, of the gender of their choice, right? Like, that, they're not legislators down there who believe deep, deep in their hearts and feel really strong. Maybe they're too. But the vast majority of the legislators, Republicans who are down there, they don't care about that. They know that there's actually... In their minds, there's no trans children don't even exist in their district at all, right? Like, it is, it was just solely about feeding their base. You say they're not champions of female sports? <laughs> they are not. <laughs> no, they are not trying to say female sports. <laughs> but that is how that bill was written.
2: But and is that must be the same thing that, you know, for writing a law that, that bans, you know, most, if not all, abortions. And then, you know, for the anti-CRT because that's a national thing that's being kind of pushed down. So it seems like they went along with that. Do you, are you afraid that um, if Kemp gets back in, they're going to even make uh, abortion stricter, go more like Texas where they have the visual and things or.
3: Yeah, I actually am concerned. I, I will say Jeff, I think that abortion is a distinct, um, is a distinct issue from CRT and trans kids. Uh, you know, CRT, that was definitely national stuff, but um you know, I there are truly legislators down there who very much believe very strongly personally um, in their pro-life force birth stance. Um, so I, I think that that's not just about feeding, uh, feeding their base, that there are people who hold really deeply held beliefs uh, around that issue. And I, I just I want to make that distinction because I think that's important Um but I am concerned um, that if Brian Kemp is reelected, honestly, I'm concerned regardless of the outcome of the gu- gubernatorial election, there will be legislation that will be introduced that will be more harsh as it relates to abortion. It's coming. Now, the question will be, will we have the power to veto it or not? But it's it's coming. Um, our our rights for being able, women and those who can get pregnant, our ability to control our reproductive you know, choice and, and have choice around that, it's going to be attacked further. Um, they will do the work to really make sure that you cannot get abortion pills mailed to you. And that's going to be the kind of first thing that will go. Is I mean we've already seen a taste of that, but that legislation will come back and it most likely will pass out of both the House and the Senate, and then it'll be up to see who the governor is as to whether or not it becomes a law.
1: Now Jeff gave the breakdown of the members of the state house. I don't remember honestly my eighth grade Georgia government. Is that a, a veto proof or does that give the uh, the Democrats even at, at at the disadvantage they are at? Enough votes that a veto is effective.
3: Yeah, a veto is effective right now. There is not a supermajority in either body, so a veto can be effective.
2: So you need two thirds to override a veto. Is that that's right? Okay.
0: Okay. And do you think though that there might be, you know, they may not be the smartest people in the room, but the savvy politicians usually aren't true believers. Their abortion victory definitely has lit a fire among Democrats and uh, maybe non-Democrats all over. So it doesn't feel like it's the slam dunk winner that they think it is. Do you think that there, you know, and this is obvious speculation, but do you think that there will be kind of a reticence to maybe go that far? Partic- I mean, is it, or is it all going to be based on what happens in November? Like if they lose races they didn't expect, will there be kind of a reckoning over that?
3: Yeah. So there there will be legislation introduced that will be that will make no exceptions for abortions, whether or not it moves. And and really, a lot of the power exists in the House in the speaker's hands. So whether or not, you know, Speaker Ralston is going to let that legislation move forward, I think will be contingent upon kind of the political savvy around seats that were lost or, or what they think the outcome is. But there are legislators who today have drafted and are prepared to drop no excuse abortions. Um, and so that's that's coming. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure how far it will get. Um And the other piece, I do think that Republicans in Georgia are going to be careful around contraception. And um, I don't think that they're true believers around limiting uh, other forms of contraception outside of abortion. And so, I mean, we've seen in other states where um, different forms, I don't remember the name of the thing that gets put inside of you and your men. IUDs. So you do know, (laughs) Um, you know, there are states where IUDs are like kind of a question right now as to whether or not those are legal because of the ways that they function. And they're telling women
1: to take their period trackers off their phones because it can be used against them in, in, in a court.
3: Right. I've heard I've heard a lot of that. And I just there there is an extreme part of the Georgia General Assembly, but I don't think that it's the majority. And so I'm not actually concerned about it going that far. But it's already gone. I mean, it's already gone far, right?
2: Well, and I think when you start hearing, you know, some of these horror stories locally in Georgia, you know, we've had many examples in other parts of the country, and you know, so I, I kind of think that might change the, the, the tune a little bit if you know, those stories are, are uh, held up in the, in the news organizations as they should be. So.
3: One of the things I'm really intrigued by that makes Georgia different than other states is that we have a personhood clause in our abortion or it's an abortion ban, right? But it says that basically a fetus before it's even a fetus, right? Like at, in, in, at the moment that it's six weeks or whatever, um, that it's a person and you can file your taxes and count, you know, that child. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. I have friends. um I am of that age where a lot of my friends um, are using the gifts of technology to make babies. And so they have frozen embryos. And I'm very curious to see, do they get to write all of those? You know, how long do they get to carry that? Um, Because you can keep an embryo frozen for a long time. So, like, do you get a child tax credit as long as you're paying for the freezer fee also, can you stop paying for the freezer fee? Like, what's going to happen? Is there going to become a foster care system for embryos that people don't longer want to keep frozen? Like, I mean, there's a lot that I'm really curious about how we're going to kind of how it will play out in Georgia, because we do have this personhood clause that really does for people who are involved in artificial insemination and, and, um, and those types of scientific technologies for giving birth. It it's just a complex thing. And it's clear to me that legislators did not think about that when they put it in the in the bill.
0: Speaking of smartest people in the room.
3: Yeah. Wasn't
1: it here in Georgia that a woman got pulled over in the HOV lane? She says, I'm pregnant. She goes,
3: it, it was in them. Texas. Two, oh, was it in Texas? Like I got It thought. was in Texas. But it's going to come here, here too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two in the car. And, and, and I don't know that there's anything that they can do about it. No, you can't. You can't have it both ways. Right. And my whole thing is, I mean, who's going to be nobody's going to be checking for tax fraud, but it's it's an open every woman of childbearing age. Every woman has the potential to take a child tax credit. Every person who can carry a child has a chance to take a tax credit because all you got to do is say I was pregnant on December 31st. I had a miscarriage later. Yeah. But I was pregnant on December 31st, so I'm taking that tax credit, right? Do so like, you have to refund it
2: then if if you have a miscarriage or I mean
3: that is not unclear, right? Like yeah.
2: a lot of a lot of questions, a lot of questions. Yeah.
0: That that's all that's all very, you know, kind of dystopian sci-fi. Yeah. Right? You know, that is and that's have we I mean, have we got to a point where finally maybe like the the next, tech, you know, alleged technological solution People are just gonna go. You know, I'm gonna sit that one out.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah. If you want to get something done, you gotta you gotta work with the other side.
2: Mm-hmm. Or and you've passed a couple of bills too, right? Solely
0: defensive mm-hmm. to try to like if you like for your efforts when you're when you're you know in um, at the Capitol, is it more effort spent fighting things off or more effort trying to? get things done?
3: Uh, There's a lot more to fight off, um, I think. But certainly, I do expend energy in trying to get things done. I have passed um, legislation under the gold dome that, um, you know, you have to come up with something that is essentially nonpartisan, that like Republicans and Democrats alike will agree that and protecting particularly women is important. So I've been working in the domestic violence and stalking realm um, because it's great on flyers for Republicans, too, to say, hey, I helped co-sponsor this bill that protects people who were victims of stalking, right? Um, but it, it's very hard. It's very difficult as a Democrat and the minority party to pass any legislation at all. Um, and so how much energy we spend in trying to do it, It's it's needed, I think, compared to to the defense. But there are also other ways that we get work done. So I've been really effective in using the appropriations process to get money to fund uh, different things within the state of Georgia that I think are really important. So I had money um, appropriated to help black farmers in South Georgia. Um, This year, I appropriated funds to help purchase wheelchairs for children who play adaptive sports across the state of Georgia. Um, And those things they require republican participation cuz it is the budget but because it's the budget and it's so large um, we're we're often able to to get something in particularly on the senate side the house is really different but on the senate side by and large you can usually um, do something with appropriation so you can bring something back to to your folks in a way that you just can't necessarily do with legislation
0: so you think the Republicans that helped you particularly on the, the domestic violence part will will be good um, in 2023 to keep guns away from the domestic abusers and like have their gun have their guns mm. seized and you know I think I think that's something that they really should consider if they're really serious about this issue.
3: <laughs> yeah so jerry i will s I will say that the people who did support me, the Republicans um particularly who signed off on that um one in particular Brian Strickland, tried to introduce that very legislation that you're referring to um legislation that would take guns away from people who were um, being investigated or convicted of domestic violence. He as a republican um tried to do that and and his people came after him and and it was ugly. And, you know, he was called a rhino and um, it was just really awful. And there are a lot of disincentives to keep him from trying to push that course some more. So it wasn't um, just so- no,
0: it was how dare you and we're going to punish you for it.
3: That's right. And and not, not people inside of the Capitol. These are people on the outside, right? These are constituents. These are, you know, these are the folks who get on the internet and say all kinds of terrible, horrible things about you, right? Um, and it's just a, it's a lot of pressure from outside of the Capitol to, to say, like, if you're a Republican, you better not take anybody gun, anybody's gun away. No exceptions. So, so to your question, really, Jerry, there are Republicans under the Gold Dome who are serious about domestic violence and wanting to protect and end particularly... We have high rates of femicide of women being killed in intimate partner relationships. And they are they're people who want to see something change about that. Um, and their party right now is just not in the place. It'll take a lot of courage and they will be standing fairly alone, um, but with a lot of Democrats, if they're going to take that on.
2: And that's why you need veto power, is, is to offset that kind of stuff. Now, did I, did I read or maybe I heard on your, your podcast, and you do a podcast, which we'll have to make sure we uh, you know, put a link in the show notes. Um, did you pass something for hemp farmers in the state?
3: I tried, Jeff.
2: Okay, okay.
3: I was, I was, um. So I buddied up with a Republican. Um, There was a news article about us. Uh, Tyler Harper is, he's a senator um, from South Georgia, and he's actually running for ag commissioner now. But there was an article written about Tyler Harper and I, and they called us like the best buddy cops. Um, (laughs) We should do a buddy cop film because like we're just cute (laughs) and fun together. So he and I worked together on a hemp bill that actually would have made it clear that Delta 8 or Delta 9, which... Delta eight. Um, would have made it clear that Delta Eight is legal is legal. I wanna make sure that's clear. Um, because there is right now kind of an open question, right? Delta eight is not mentioned at all in the law and so there'd been there'd been some really overzealous DAs who were prosecuting people. So anyway, long story short, Tyler and I teamed up, tried to get that legislation passed through. We did not use um, the words Delta-8 or marijuana anywhere in the legislation. We used some very technical words because we were the two smart people in the room. (laughs) And when the... Other people found out what our bill actually meant. They quickly torpedoed it um, after it actually made it a long way through the process. Oh, <laughs> to what? To
0: what end, though? Like, yeah. like to, to, I mean, you to, they torpedoed something that would not make anyone high. Yeah. So, like, why? Who cares? You know, like, you know, like, it's not. I guess you could say it's marijuana adjacent, but you know, it's not. I mean, but so is
1: the, the you know the hemp down Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, it's so the whole hemp industry in Georgia. It's a very fraught and complex um, because people think it's too closely related to marijuana. So you can grow hemp in Georgia, but the license fee is fifty thousand um, oh, dollars. Right, like gotta grow a lot of hemp to make that back. <laughs> right, you know? only the biggest or guys can do the, it. Yeah, you know, and so it's just, and it's all because of. People have this very strange belief about how terrible marijuana is. I mean, they call it the devil's lettuce, right? Like yeah. I have heard them say it in hearings.
2: Wow, the devil's lettuce. So based on that, recreational cannabis is is not going to ever happen in Georgia?
3: I wouldn't say ever. I'm counting on the federal government, actually, to <laughs> step in and help us with that.
2: <laughs> well, I like that Stacey uh, is promoting legalizing gambling. So that's kind of like the next step. You know, towards you know, this also makes money. Jeff, don't
3: say that this is a slippery slope. That's not <laughs> going to be helpful. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Gambling is a slippery Oops. slope yeah, towards. Not for
1: the situation, but yeah, every almost every state we're adjacent
3: to, Georgians
1: leave and drive to to go gamble. So, yeah, we, we're losing a lot of business to other, you know, adjacent states.
3: Yeah, and the other – it's not just casino gambling. It's also sports betting, and we're losing a lot of money to sports betting as well. Um, so Stacey's made a really clear decision to say we need to call for that. And that actually is a bipartisan issue. Um, yes. The bill for sports betting has been introduced for the past couple of years by Republicans. And it's just that Republicans couldn't get enough of their friends on board. Uh, the Southern Baptist Convention is a very strong force down there. Uh, yep. And they just couldn't get enough of their friends on board, even with almost all Democrats to be able to pass it. So not
0: even medical marijuana, huh?
3: Right. So we have oil that's legal. I actually think that medical marijuana will come to Georgia. Um, I There's a whole industry, right? I mean, some of this is about following the money. And farmers in Georgia are suffering. Uh, our, our farms have struggled. Both because of terrible storms um, that have gone through and wiped out 100 year old pecan trees and, you know, devastated a lot of different places in Georgia. So farmers are struggling and a lot of Republicans represent large farm areas. Right. And so my whole thing is follow the money. I think we're going to get medical marijuana because farmers need something to farm and medical marijuana could very well be that that next thing. I mean, it's the same way, you know, we see now that all of our laws around how many chickens you can have, how the chicken industry is regulated. It's almost like all those laws have changed because chicken has been the economic driver for folks out in the country. Medical marijuana will be the next thing. I'm saying it now. You guys can all right. call me back in, in a course. couple of years.
0: You got our vote. <laughs> yeah.
3: That's
2: coming. One, one of the things I think that we're fighting against, too, as far as getting people to focus more on local politics is the younger generation. And, you know, as a 65-year-old, that's anybody younger than 65, I guess. These young kids today. But it's like where you get the local rundown on, on Georgia politics is like in the AJC or local, local news. And not too many young people use those sources as, as, as their news. And you're not going to find it if you're listening to, you know, cable news. I mean, you may find little blips here and there. But how, how do we fight that big missing link there about educating people? And about what's going on in the state.
3: Yeah, I I think that folks are starting to use more digital platforms. So, you know, there are a number of politicians and media now that are using TikTok and Instagram to help disseminate that information to um, a younger generation of folks. And so people are people are aware. I actually work a lot with younger people and I'm always um, I'm always amazed at just how much they do now. And um, that they're not totally clued out. You know, This abortion issue has been particularly uh-huh. – I think the Republicans have made a mistake because they've, they have awakened a sleeping, a sleeping giant called Young People. That's the term <laughs> um, I've been beaten on for the last
1: couple episodes that there's yeah. – I, w- I would love to see like the 18 to 35 to f- or 40 female voter registration numbers in Georgia over the last six months i I bet it's amazing
3: yeah and i and i think you'll see the turnout will be will be quite high as a consequence um and and this is probably one of those split ticket situations where even i am clear that there will be republican women who will vote for stacy and then they'll probably like you know go down the ballot with their traditional republican folks um they'll skip herschel walker too Uh, you know come on they'll skip him but um I think you'll see a number of women, particularly, and not just from 18 to 35. I mean, they're, you know, the feminists, women in their 50s, 60s, and 70s who fought for this, right? I mean, right. they're fired up, too. But I think and, those
1: women would probably already be registered and would be voting, you know, for...
3: Right. But that. I think that they may or may not be voting as Democrats. and so, uh, I, and so And I think that they will come over... At least for the top of the ticket, um, to to try to protect their rights, for, and it's some of it's because they fought for it, and some of it's for their daughters, right? Like a lot of them are fired up on behalf of their own children.
0: So we talked about that in the last couple of shows, but it's it's uh, kind of a you know maybe a democratic legend that or a hope um, that people would go in the you know especially women would go in the the voting booth and. Nobody knows who they voted for so they're going to quote secretly vote for more democrats so you think that is you think that's going to be a discernible bump at least in some of the bigger races
3: Yeah, I think so. So, you know, when it comes to local politics, basically people don't know who it is. So they're just going to default to their party. Right. Um, But I do I do feel quite strongly in the same way that you saw in the primary, there were Democrats who hopped over to the Republican primary to give Brad Raffensperger a little pat on the back. In the same way that you saw Democrats do that, you're going to see Republican women, especially in the quietness and the secretness of their ballot box. Slip over and give a vote to Stacey Abrams to try to get some of their rights back.
0: So you think the polls, then? I would assume the polls don't reflect that. Right. So
3: I don't think they do. I don't think they're capturing that that vote.
0: So that is a that's a reason for 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 hope, and not not like despair when you see. We try not to pay attention to the polls um, because they they'll suck the life out of you if you pay too much attention to them. But if, if you like, if a race is is ostensibly even, that you think that there's a couple point bump that might not be accounted for with that kind of ballot switching.
3: Yeah, I do. Um, and I mean, time obviously will tell. Uh, Stacey Abrams does have a problem with black men showing up to vote for her in general. So I don't know if those two things will balance each other out. But, you know, my prediction is there will be white women who are Republicans who will vote for Stacey, skip Herschel Walker and vote the rest of the way down as Republicans. Um, and and then, of course, there'll be additional turnout from Democrats who have not voted heretofore or who've not voted as regularly who were fired up about this issue. And
0: Democrats have good candidates for attorney general and secretary of state, too. So maybe the fact that it's two women, maybe the straight ticket goes a little further down a little than just the big national races.
3: I mean, Jerry, I'm hopeful, you know, it's my friend, uh, Jen Jordan, Senator Jen Jordan is running for attorney general. She is incredible. She's brilliant. She is the smartest person in the room, yeah. um, which means that they worked really hard to silence her in the Senate. Right. Um, she's great. I am hopeful that people will keep voting down further. Um, but it's a very cautious hope.
0: Understand that. That's better than despair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> This is a uh, you know as we say in the open you know uh, a podcast by atheists who talk about a lot of things not just atheism but we talk about politics a lot and mostly <laughs> partnering you know like how do we and the and it's always like a debate you know are they less inclined to work with us or are we less inclined to work with them? And it's like, you know, it's like the Spider-Man meme. We're, we're kind of pointing at each other yeah, that it's, yeah. that it's your fault that we're not doing more together. If, if you agree on, you know, eight to 10 things, except religion, that would seem like it would be a pretty tight ally, but there's not a lot of allegiances, at least when it comes to like political activism, how can that, you know, from, from the non-religious side, what can we do to meet and work with like-minded on almost everything but this? To get policy goals pushed through that we all agree with and maybe from the other side too because we don't do it a lot and we got we to gotta maximize all of our friendships as much as we can these days. It matters. Yeah,
3: that's no, a really good question. Um, we are still in the South, right? And so there is this sort of general allegiance to religion that seems to loom large. Uh, but I think the beauty of the Democratic Party is that we are a big tent and that there is room for um, lots of different people. And we're still trying to figure out what that means in terms of actually working together. Um, but I do think there's space. Um, I I have found so as a person as a as a woman as a person who's been in the space of reproductive rights and HIV and AIDS prevention for a very long time um that's the space I know really well and so I will say that that is a space where atheists and and a variety of different faith beliefs um that have been able to work together because it is this we are on the same page around reproductive rights. And the I think that what I've seen and been most impressed with around that coalition of folks who are um, I mean, we are, we're really different in so many different ways, but that coalition, I think what makes it work is that we're clear about where we stand on reproductive rights, and that's our work to do. And we're also really respectful about whose lane it is to speak in a particular way. So. I am, I represent the faith community as a clergy person, right? And so those who are non theists in our reproductive rights coalition, like they will turn to me and be like, you know, you need to go talk to those churches, right? Like they have a respect and it's not their lane. Um, they've got a different lane, but um, so I've seen it work really well in that space of reproductive justice. And, and I think it could work in other spaces as well. Um, As long as there is a mutual understanding that each of us has to take on a different strategy to meet the same goal. And uh, so yeah, I'd be I mean, I'd be curious to hear from you all about some of those like eight out of 10 things where you do agree, and where you're looking for friends. Um, Yeah, I'd love to hear that.
0: No, I'll talk at once. Well, <laughs> guns, reproductive yeah. justice, economic justice, housing.
1: LGBTQ rights. Uh, Homelessness, right. yeah, yeah.
0: Not just housing, there's... So many. Minimum wage? For sure, minimum wage. Justice, legal weed. Yeah.
1: Free legal weed and gambling. Free legal free weed? Free legal weed. And ga- I'm, I'm, get, it I'm getting in early on the free legal weed I, bandwagon. I, I, volu-
0: I, volunteer. I volunteer to pay to support the cause. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the justice system. Too many people in prison. Too many people are under the thumb of fines. And once you get in a hole... A hole you can never crawl out of. The opportunity, Jim.
1: Now would be the time to say white Christian nationalism. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> you 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 fed that, but and by the way, that's that's fighting against something as like than fighting for something. But all of those things are important to all of us and probably ninety five percent of the you know our friends and anybody that listens to this pod. So from a policy standpoint, we are we are down with all of it.
3: Yeah. And I I think that there are lots and lots of partners and friends out there who are always welcome and looking for people who are kindred spirits on on all those same policy issues. Um, And then the other thing I'll add as it relates to white Christian nationalism is every one of the issues that you named is an issue in part because of white Christian nationalism. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
3: Uh, so when we fight to provide affordable, adequate housing for everyone, we are also fighting against Christian white Christian nationalism. Like <laughs> those are simultaneously happen. When we fight for re- reproductive rights, I think that's the most obvious. Um, perhaps when we fight for reproductive rights, we are at the same time simultaneously fighting against white Christian nationality, um, right? White Christian nationalism.
2: So it's basically fighting for the separation of church and state, you know. So you know, because Christian nationalists, their whole agenda is is based on their theology. In fact, they prefer to have our country set up as a theocracy. Mm-hmm. And and I think on the Democrat side, that's kind of what you're what you're fighting against. It sounds like. Does that make sense? Or
3: yeah, no, I think that's right. And I, I think we're also fighting against. Um, we're, we're fighting against this mentality that um, white – that uh, it's, it's superiority, actually. That's, it's supremacy, right? Mm-hmm. So white Christian nationalism says we know the best way. We have the superior way. And it is one that should be a theocracy that is governed by some really – can I say the F word on this podcast? Yes, we have the explicit
1: right. Yeah, we dropped F-bombs <laughs> yeah. left and right. Okay. Yeah.
3: That <laughs> – You know, so they use some really fucked up theology actually that's very convoluted to get to the places that they get to, but. It is it's all about supremacy. And so I think what we're fighting against is yes, the separation of church versus state, but we're also fighting against this notion that some group of people have the way, the supreme way of how we can govern one another.
1: It's the um, true and- Americans versus everybody else that's trying to you know get into being, you know, a true but you you'll never be a true American.
2: It's, you know, it's right. it, it, very insular in-group and when right. it comes to voter suppression, that's kind of what's what's, you know, at issue there is they're trying to say that, you know, like when when Trump was trying to throw out the votes in Atlanta, throw out the votes in in Detroit, throw out the votes in in Milwaukee. That's, uh, you know, because they don't think those people are real Americans. And that's kind of the white Christian nationalist thing is they don't think atheists are real Americans. They don't think gay people are real Americans. So right, right on down the line, it's an extremely dangerous course that we're on with that.
3: I mean, the attempt to throw out—it was black votes, right? When you name all those cities, Jeff, mm-hmm. you're you're talking yep. about the attempt yep. to throw out black votes, and it, it reminds me of a time when black people were only counted as like two thirds of a person, right? Like right. it, um, it's it's this notion that a black vote—we don't need to count them all; we can only just count part of them.
0: And we're gonna make it harder for you to vote, and we're gonna make you wait in longer lines and we're gonna get rid of drop boxes and poll taxes all, and... all the things that 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 got done uh, relatively recently aren't you kind of concerned though or or i I won't I'm asking a question because it's kind of my belief, and we talk about this on the show a lot too isn't it a little concerning that the people who are white Christian nationalists are starting to like warm up to the term though like like why you know? What's wrong with being a you know? You call me a white Christian nationalist, and I'm, those are all three I'm, good I'm, terms I'm good put that. together. You know, you're hearing it more and more, and you know it's it's hard to it's hard to have like a you know a, a, a phrase that's like dangerous and something you want to fight when people are like, "Yeah, I'm going to get myself a T-shirt."
3: Yeah, no, it is. Um, it's concerning, and it's a it's a page out of the progressive. Playbook actually, of taking words like queer, right? I mean, I think about immediately we've taken queer and been like, y'all use this as a really bad word for us for a long time. You mm. know what? We're gonna embrace it. We're gonna bad be queer. Honor. we're gonna be queer yep. as fuck.
1: Yep. like
3: they took that page out of our playbook mm. and have put it on christian nationalism and and it is it's white Christian nationalism and it's it's concerning um and i'm all I'm also just very amazed at like how selective their their understanding of what that term means, right? Like they know when we say white Christian nationalism and we are fighting against it, they know that we're talking about all the ways that it's racist and s- supremacist and um, and xenophobic and all the things that come out of it, right? Um, but they just choose to ignore all of that, just like we choose to ignore that around the negative ways that people use the word queer. Um, but I, I don't know how we fight back against it other than, I guess, maybe we come up with new words.
0: Hmm. Jeff, you're speaking Jeff's language. He couldn't, kind of, I mean, <laughs> seriously, he could not be any happier because you basically quoted him.
1: Do <laughs> you get tired of, of people pulling from your playbook? Because we talk a lot about how the atheist community kind of pulls from the LGBTQ community as far as acceptance it, um. acceptance. Mm-hmm. As far as we kind of follow that playbook. And so yeah. Are, are, as a member, are, are you tired of other people like looking in your playbook and, and
3: utilize? Now white Christian nationalists are using your playbook? What the hell? That's not right. I mean, when bad people start using it, it does yeah. make us wonder, like, wait a minute, was this a play? Um. But but no I don't get tired of people. I I think it's a, I think it's an honor that people can look to other cultures and see the ways that we've been resilient and resistant. Um and and said, let's let's try that too, right? I think about Palestinians um, who have turned to African Americans in this country and looked at the ways that we've dealt with our own forms of disc- discrimination and how we've organized, and they've taken from that playbook and are trying to actualize it where they are. and And I think that that's I think that's a real gift. And so I'm I'm glad that atheists have found something worth sharing and practicing and trying from uh, the LGBTQ movement.
0: So when you win in November, you know, the first time you walked in to the, to the Capitol, it had to be like, like such a cool moment. I mean, just, just, to, I, I, cause I know I would be, I'd be looking around and I would be like, you know, I, I'd be like chest bumping myself, you know, Yeah. <laughs> phone out, taking pictures of everything. Now that you've done it and you're walking in more savvy so is your is your strategy you know your strategy going to change obviously because you know kind of how it works and mm-hmm. you're going to kind of cut the BS and you know how to get things done more.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do. I've grown and learned a lot in the last two years. Um, I think I I still I still feel awe when I'm there. Um, it hasn't worn off, and I'm still. I'm still surprised when people call me Senator Jackson, even mm-hmm. after two years. It's, so it's not, it's not quite there. I'm still, I'm still taking the selfies, Don, um, and <laughs> and and also, I mean, it's important to know. I I'm the only LGBTQ member um, in the Senate. I'm the only one, and um, I this year will be different than the past two years in terms of me having to make sure that I represent our community really well. Um, We already know that some pretty awful anti-LGBTQ bills will be coming forward. And I didn't really have to deal with that as much in my first two years. Mm -hmm. And so I am thinking more strategically about how to how to handle that. Um, and and I'm grateful, you know, I come in, t- you know, two years with relationships, with friendships on both sides of the aisle, right? There are people that I can call on and have a, an honest, frank, off-the-record conversation about, like, how realistic is this? Is this a, you know, is the don't say gay bill, is that... Really, really, something y'all are serious about, or is this just a messaging bill? Right, like I have friends that I can call now uh, to have that conversation, which then helps me know how to how to use my energy, right, and and what to not get riled up about.
0: So, are you uh, are after this next term our, our national office in your in your uh, in your in your future for twenty twenty four?
3: No, Jerry. I am not running for national office in 2024. I I am deeply committed to being a really to learning how to be a really good senator, and I know that that takes more than two terms. Um, I the people of District 41 they took a risk when they elected me. They elected me as I was young. I was 35 at the time. I was a black queer woman. Um, I mean, they they had all the reasons to not elect me. They took a chance on me, and I want to make sure that I that I, I live up to what they've asked me to do. And that really does take more than more than four years. So, uh, nope, I, I, as long if the people will have me, um, they will vote for me. And I'd like to complete uh, at, at the very least three terms.
2: Um, Is there a term the limit? Or?
3: There are no term limits in Georgia No, oh, So okay. I, I could stay until, you could know, get kicked out. <laughs> or 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 die there right um, <laughs> but um no i i don't also i don't foresee myself being a lifelong you know state senator but i do want to commit to to at least three terms in order to i think very adequately serve my my own district
0: very Good, a good, good, good answer. Yeah, but, but a, like a politician like answer for sure, because there's no gain in saying you would ever run for national office. But I get it. But it, you know, <laughs> just talking to you, having somebody like you in the room, that's that would not that would not be that, that would not be a bad thing. Um, so I'm not trying to kick kick you out to Washington, but you know particularly
3: the whole like jerry the whole point of this podcast is to talk about how important local I politics
0: know. are yes. Come on,
1: I know.
3: <laughs> so no jerry yeah. i'm not trying to go <laughs> okay. to
0: Governor. the federal government
3: Governor. definitely not in 2024
2: <laughs> excellent <laughs> Ooh, i see what you did there yeah <laughs> so uh Tell me a little bit about your farm. I, I saw that in your bio, and I kind of knew on the peripheral that, that you guys were, were yeah, on top raising of everything some Everything else, some you animals. Had time to
1: run yeah. a farm.
3: And so, what's up, yeah. what's up with that? Yeah, so <laughs> do I actually have time to run a farm? Yeah. Uh, if you look at my grass right now, the answer would be <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> so. It's okay. Um, So my wife and I, we have uh, 10 acres in Stone Mountain. We started with five, and we just expanded this year to add an additional five. Um, About half of it is forested, so we don't have to actually tend to it beyond Mm -hmm. just – I do maintain trails, walking trails and hiking trails in the forest. Um, But, you know, we've – Gotten smarter about how we farm, so we automate things. You know, we automate the feeding of our chickens and ducks, and their automated waterers. And um, but also, I'm I do make time on purpose because it's it's grounding and it's important. You know, I I told someone. You know, I woke up the day after Election Day to a phone call from several reporters who, to phone calls from several reporters who wanted to talk about, you know, Kim Jackson, you're a state senator. How does it feel to be the first, you know, LGBTQ state senator? And I had to say to them, I can't talk to you right now. I have to milk my goat. Oh. <laughs> right? Like. <laughs> that can't wait. Yeah. Um, she and and so there's just something really grounding about it, and there's something humbling. Um, I tell people all the time. Any time I I begin to think that um, perhaps I am. Above everyone else, I go into my chicken coop and I and I shovel chicken shit, and it reminds me that yeah. I am but a mere human being. <laughs> um.
2: But, but <laughs> and, it's got to so, connect you to, to the farmers of Georgia as well, though, because you kind of yeah. know their it does. And tribulations. Yeah.
3: It does, although, I mean, I'm, I'm really careful when I'm talking to people who have, you know, hundreds of acres of land. That I, I, <laughs> I'm not a farmer in that way. But, uh, you know, I do serve on the Ag Committee, and it, I think it's been a real surprise to a lot of the members that I actually know what I'm talking about. Um, because it's it's been a strategy, actually, that Republicans have put urban legislators on Ag, thinking that they will just be useless. Um, but I come in— no I mean, I'm a multi-generational farmer. My parents have a farm. My grandparents had a farm, right? So I bring a lot of information to the table. um, And they've been really surprised, but we've also connected around it, right? They've enjoyed um, being able to, to have that connection of, yeah, I know a lot about raw milk and goat's milk and how that works and why we should or shouldn't regulate it, right? Like, um, So that's been actually a really wonderful connection for how I'm able to to relate across the aisle. Um, But I think more importantly, and and Trina, my wife, would say this too, fundamentally, we have a farm. It's it's called the Urban Soul Sanctuary. Um, It's our sanctuary in the middle of a city. Uh, It's the place that we come to and that we invite our friends to come to uh, for respite, for connection with spirit and with earth um, and with something much greater than ourselves. Right. Like that's why we farm. That's that's what we cultivate um, on our land.
0: So very cool. It's super cool. But, you know, you you correctly or properly walked away from national office and then you drop like this West Wing scene. About walking into the ag committee that you would see on a TV show, and, <laughs> and, and like, come on, like this, just, just that's start talking like, about raw be, milk. That'd be too. That's too perfect. That's too perfect of a scene. How do you go on vacation with a farm?
3: So we have um, neighbors who are young people, they're kids um, who are teenagers who love animals. And so we've trained them on how to take care of them. And um, they actually ask us, like, will you please go out of town? Um, <laughs> <you> know. <Yeah. laughs> and I have had to tell them, like, you know, you can come visit the animals when we're here, too. It's, it's OK. Um, so, yeah, we we have young people and we pay them. We pay them a living wage um, when they're taking care of our animals because we believe in justice in that way. Um, so, yeah, we're able to travel and do those kinds of things and know that our farm is well cared for.
0: Very cool. Rock on. And... You have your own podcast, and if somebody wants to donate to your campaign or find out more about you and the issues you care about, how do they find that out?
3: Yeah, so my podcast is God, Goats, and Government. So I do talk about the intersections of farming, of my life as a priest and as a senator on my podcast. I I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, It's only during, we only do the podcast during session, so for the first four months out of the year. Um, So we're really talking about it. Actually, I think a primer for helping people understand how <clears throat> how the legislation legislature actually works. It
2: worked right? for that's, me when I listened to it. I, I found out that you know what the grinder process was about. It was fascinating.
3: Yeah. So that's that's really if you if you've never been involved in local politics or state politics and you don't understand or know anything about how bills become laws, then that's the podcast for you. And then you also do get to hear random stories about my goats and chickens and um. And, and also about, you know, the congregation that I serve. So I I am very blessed to work with people who allow me to be a part of their community as people who sleep outside in the streets of Atlanta. And so I do talk about these beautiful moments. And in my language, you know, I would say that we're holy moments where um, I'm able to wash the feet of someone who who can't reach his feet anymore because they're so swollen from walking miles every day. And um, these moments of just of sharing food and and conversation and love. Um, So I do get to talk a bit about that as well in the podcast.
2: Is there a way we can support that part of it, too, like either with with, uh, you know, donations of clothing or shoes or money to
3: your homeless work? Uh Okay. So, yes, um, we always need socks. We run, run two-foot clinics on Monday and Tuesday. We also need volunteers if you're ever interested in coming down. Um, I wash people's feet across the street from the Capitol, ironically, on Monday mornings uh, from 10 to noon. We're um, in the courtyard of Central Presbyterian where we wash and care for people's feet. Um, but socks, we welcome sock drives. We welcome folks who want to do coffee drives. Our goal is to be the best street baristas, in the city of Atlanta so we always serve good coffee um, so if you want to donate good coffee uh, we welcome that um, and the church that I serve it's called Church of the Common Ground so you can go to churchofthecommonground.org um, and then if you want to give to my campaign which I invite you all to do or want to learn more about me you can go to kimforgeorgia.com and um, follow me on all the things called social media I have you know all my handles are kimforgeorgia um, and then the pod is Kim god-goats in government so yeah thank you all for letting me plug my the
0: things that i oh. do and the things oh, that absolutely. i love and care about
1: thank absolutely. you for coming and hanging out with us it was very enjoyable excellent very conversation
0: wish you nothing yep. but luck in the election and everything that.
3: thank you